Thank you for joining me on the Sports in the Making podcast. I'm your host, Don Cardona, and this is episode number 28. I have on my podcast today, Claudia Trejos, a recently inducted Hall of Famer who has become a fixture in the boxing and fight scene. There are a few people in this industry that are as unique and as genuine as she is. She's broadcast many sporting events in her career, getting her start at KTLA in Los Angeles, and she's also a motivational speaker and coach. We talk about all that, what it was like being inducted into the Florida Boxing Hall of Fame, and her interesting pastime that she learned from her father growing up in Colombia. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the one and only Claudia Trejos. This episode has visuals, so if you're listening, please be sure to subscribe to the Sports in the Making YouTube channel to see some of what we discuss. Well, there may not be a sufficient amount of adjectives to describe my guest on this episode of Sports in the Making podcast. Genuine, kind, funny, talented, and smart, positive in energy, and of course, amazingly beautiful inside and out. Claudia Trejos joins me to talk about her now Hall of Fame career, a little bit about boxing, and how she's helping women be their best in their personal selves and professional lives. You may have seen Claudia at some of the biggest fight matches in the world, covering boxing in English and Spanish for broadcast networks, including ESPN, Telemundo, The Zone, and others. And I had the pleasure of working with and producing with Claudia for a number of years at ESPN uh, on Viernes de Combates, which is Friday Night Fights at ESPN. Th Claudia, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a while since we've talked. It's rained a couple of times, but it's great to be here, and it's awesome to see you. I know you went off to great pastures. You had a great time, and it's awesome to get a chance to talk to you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. I see you on social media all the time. I see all the events you're working on. Uh, just wish I was a little bit a part of the action uh, again. But, uh, but I, I'm having you on because I think you have a very interesting background, and I just wanted to share that with people and this podcast is about getting to know people and what they've done and how everything works and how you do things. So the first question I have is how did you get into, uh, into sports broadcasting? It, it, it was a matter of, uh, I was in the right place at the right time. Sports is, has always been in my life. Uh, but, um, I was actually working part-time in a, in a station that does not exist anymore. That used to, it used to be a prime ticket later became prime sports and later became Fox sports. And I started back in the day and I was, uh, working after school and, um, I would, I was a grip and from a grip, I just kind of moved on and I was covering, uh, baseball and hockey and basketball and at the time we still had the Raiders in Los Angeles I was always there so it was a it was a mishmash of a, a whole bunch of things and then slowly but surely um, I was allowed to go into production you know I started with the typical cameraman editing producing and one day a, a very dramatic um, moment in our lives as a family happened and uh, I had to leave school and I was given the opportunity to work full time. And that was the beginning of the end. How did you get into boxing then? Because I know your career, you've covered a lot of different things, but boxing seems to be where you've landed or are doing a lot of a lot of really great things. So how did how did boxing come into your life? It's interesting because boxing has always been part of um, my family. It was, um, I come from a, a, a big, big family and my brothers would go to the gym and it was the typical punishment 
or you know torture if you're gonna go somewhere you gotta take your little sister with you so i just kind of ran along but boxing I, I was into combat sports in general by the time i was eight i my i asked my dad for a speed bag and um i always had a knack for it and i i i, I can't tell you that somebody taught me per se how to throw a punch it was just i know how to throw a punch and and you know, when you're covering sports, uh, you, you start refining what your um, fortes are. And uh, boxing and basketball were my thing. And then obviously uh, during the pandemic, I had to pivot and walk away from the NBA because I couldn't just sit around and wait for the NBA to start again. So boxing was one of those few sports, but in general, you've known this, uh, you were there. so. Boxing has always been part of my family, of me, of my the the the, the material that my family's made of. It's very much involved in boxing, not necessarily because of my dad, um, but it, it was what my what kept my brothers busy. So it kept kept me busy and out of trouble. Later, it got me into trouble, but we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So talking about uh, boxing and your broadcasting career, do you find any kind of correlation on how you're able to navigate the boxing world and and sports broadcasting at all? I, I think sports in general, uh, since it was it, in, in my family life, it was a way of life. It was what we did. Um, and I'm number 14 out of 17, so I come from a very competitive environment. So I, I was blessed to uh, be given an opportunity to work in what I would do regardless, if that makes any sense. Meaning uh, I would be watching a basketball game or a baseball game. I would be there. I would be in front of the TV. And um, since I was a little girl, it was like... Uh, we would stop to watch Carlos Monzon and Happy Lord, I keep on Belé, but we would also stop for um, the World Cup in general, the Olympics. So it, it, it's part of our fabric, not necessarily, again, not necessarily because my dad had any type of inkling in particular for sports, but it was the competitiveness when you're one of so many. It's natural. It's like you you need to be bigger and faster and i'm only five foot three on a good day and 120 pounds soaking wet so i didn't have much of a choice in terms of the physicality of it but i guess my spirit was always there very competitive and i think that's what actually allowed me to weave myself into the world of sports in the u.s you have a presence that i think supersedes everybody at least that's my experience with you and then seeing what you've done when i am at, i'm when I am able to watch you on TV, it just seems like you command this space that I would imagine has something to do, like you said, with your family, but then also being in that environment, how are you able to, to give yourself that presence? Don, that's a very good question because I, uh, as a matter of fact, in um, the motivational chats that I do have, it's that belief that you carry with you that comes with, I mean, putting your flying hours, doing your homework, and being ready to be ready. 
if that makes any sense. And it's not always, it hasn't always been like that. I have to admit, 30 years ago when I first started, one of the biggest issues that we have as, as a pro, no matter what you're doing, male or female, imposter syndrome kind of like seeps in, especially when you're doing something that you really love, then you're, you're starting to wonder, am, did I say the right thing? Am I, am I doing the right thing? Um, am I falling short in something else? And um, it, it, you kind of like grow into the opportunity that fell on your lap. That's at least what happened to me. That was my experience. I grew into this opportunity. I am, uh, and I know this is going to sound like I'm demeaning or putting down uh, my role in the world of sports, but I'm a glorified fan. Again, I would be doing this. I'd be watching the games. I would be going to the games. I'd be going to the fights. Even if this is not what I did for a living, I would be very much involved, you know, with stats and rankings and because I love it. So when you have that passion and love and you put all that in, I learned the hard way that it does love you back. I mean the hard way because for years, for years, I had... Um, horrible Mondays, you know, that, you know, Monday morning quarterback. Well, I was a Monday morning sports anchor in Los Angeles for years because I wasn't sure of me or what I did or if I was doing it right until I had to have a vamonos I hastos with conversation with myself and, and recognize, listen, do you do your homework? Yes. Do you love what you do? Yes. Are you trying to fake it? No. What I do is real. And I guess the presence that you mentioned has to do with the fact that what you see is what you get. And you've seen me, good, good times, bad times, good shows, bad shows. I take it all with a stride because I'm still doing what I love. And I think that goes hand in hand, despite the years of questioning and you know, bashing my head against the wall that happened many times, I'm still very much in love with what I do the confidence you may have at least the, my perception is some of the things I listened to in my research in preparing for this interview is you have pulled cable you have been a PA you've you've worked through a lot of different things which gives you that broader base that you know what you're talking about so no one can push you around would you say that's somewhat part of it a hundred percent you nailed it on the head um, you know I, I, I hear or Many people ask me, well, I want to do what you do. And I said, go for it. I, I am number one supporter for that young crowd that's coming to take over. Um, I'm no seed, so I'm not going to be here forever. But the one thing I need to instill in this new generation coming up is there is no shortcuts. There is no highway. There is no... Uh, I'm just going to get there because of this. No, the only way to have the presence, to be able to even have a bad day and be able to pull it through. Because, Don, we've, we've had great shows. We've had bad shows. We've been, we've been together and we pulled through. I mean, something didn't go quite as we expected it to be or anticipated it to be. Because of the time and the flying hours and, and being there, we know how to pivot and we know how to, okay, so we're going to roll with that punch and then we're just going to move to the next topic or next graphic and we know how to fix it. But the only thing that gives you that and that assertiveness is 
the flying hours, the repetition, the being there, and understanding that there's a lot of people involved. It's not just you as a producer. It's not just me as an anchor, and it's not just a director. We all work together from the grip to the director to the anchors. We all have to work together. And somebody might have a bad day, and that's why the rest of us have to pull through. And again, that confidence that I got it comes from putting in the hard work with love and passion, not begrudgingly. Because again, how many times have we lost a mic during oh, yeah. a video? Or a graphic or... Or a graphic. Yeah. And, or, and, yeah. and <laughs> well, how many, we can tell stories to a blue in the face. But we know, we know that, okay, so this mic went down and so we just take one off and then we start doing the, you know, the back and forth until we get that fixed. Right. Because it is going to get fixed. And even if it doesn't get fixed, you know who notices that? You and I, because we work on TV. Exactly, exactly. Now, now we're talking about the way you prepare. You've worked on a lot of big events, most recently the Canelo GGG fight. For an event like that, how do you prepare for that? Because you do know Canelo, you do know GGG, you know all the players involved from the many years you've been covering boxing. But for an event like this, how do you prepare? What is what is the process that you go through? Well, for a fight like that, you need to understand where these fighters come from. It's a trilogy, and when we're talking about trilogies in boxing, those are huge. Um, and I'm sorry I'm being so relaxed just because I just got back You're from good. my weekend, so I'm kind of like still unpacking. <laughs> so I'm just like sitting here in my living room chilling. Um, <laughs> It, it's one of those things that you need to know the evolution of both fighters from fight number one to fight number two. And then you can slowly but surely put together the scene of what, what we can expect on fight number three. We go through numbers. We go through video. It's um, So I know, for example, Don, you have your background is baseball and that's your number one passion. So it's like when we're looking at rivalries, like the highway rivalry, you, when we talk about the subway rivalry, we know what to expect from the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Giants. And back in the day when the uh, Dodgers and um, the Ducks, uh, the Ducks, um, the Angels, um, Ducks and Kings, we know those rivalries. So we understand and we look at stats and we look at numbers and we see what's changed, what, what, what has changed in every single fighter's corner. Um, how did they do in their last fights in between, you know, for example, now that we were looking at the third, who, who they fought between the second and the third, what kind of, um, patterns we saw in each fighter. And then obviously nowadays we have stats back in the day. We didn't have stats in boxing. We had stats in baseball forever in a day, stats in hockey forever in a day, football for God's sakes. But now we have the, the, the privilege to have punch stats and understand and break it down numerically, which is brilliant. I love it because it gives you a more precise image of what could happen in that third fight. But in boxing in particular, um, trilogies are part of history. So you got to be respectful of uh, who these fighters are, the type of animosity they have, um, why that animosity has been created. Um, and it takes a couple, I, I prepare for a couple of weeks because I cannot digest all that information and what's sent down. So I, I put together my notes, I keep my own stats, 
And whenever we show up for a fight, it's a big old deck of papers this big, and we're seeping through it. Um, but it's 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 diligence. It's it's uh, loving it and understanding. Uh, in the case of Canelo, he was just a kid in the first fight. And now he's a 32 grown man. Whereas uh, Gennady for the second fight was 36 and now he's 40. It's that basic statement that I just told you right there gives you a very clear scene of what was going to happen. Yeah. How does the relationship with um, athletes at that level progress? Because you seem to have a way of getting inside their, their firewall uh, you know, I, I would imagine with men, they're probably going to be a little more standoffish. Maybe it's the same from from a woman's perspective, but you seem to have cracked that shell. Um, I would imagine it has something to do with your authenticity. I, I would like to think of it that it's because I'm authentic, that I don't get in their business, that I'm there to do boxing business. Uh, I'm friendly, I'm cordial, and I still keep my distance. Uh, I, I'm very respectful of their craft. Uh, if I have something negative to say, I'm going to say it with fundamentals. I am going to back it up. And I am going to try to be as respectful as respectful I can be. And that goes across the board. I think, I think a lot of times, because we are led by passion as sports people, uh, I don't think any athlete wakes up in the morning and say, I don't give, I'm not going to give a shit today. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to bat 500. I'm just going to fuck it. I don't think anybody <laughs> says that. Right. I don't think anybody says shit. I'm going to go and on the ice and I'm just going to miss every goal that I slap. No, I don't think any soccer player is going to say today. I am just not going to play my best. Because sports in general is about passion. I mean, there's nobody that, I don't think anybody likes to lose. I think losing is perhaps the most humbling and the most useful lesson for an athlete, but a very painful one. Because um, this is where I come from. These guys, Sometimes we put in eight, 10 hours. We have long hours, like in events that we've covered, like Super Bowl, World Series. We put 16, 18 hours nonstop. These guys, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. An athlete lives a completely different life than we do. Um, they sleep, drink, eat the sport that they practice. Um, they usually have to uh, sacrifice their youth, their high school, their college lifestyle to be able to become pros. And in the pro lifestyle, you know, everybody works with injuries, pain, and father time does not give anybody a break. And one has to be very careful of whatever they say and criticize and just blurt out because, oh, we had a bad day at the office. We're talking about somebody that lives and dies with a win or a loss. Right. And, and with athletes too, you know, especially in boxing, 
-hmm. there's a very rigid type of aura or or personification but they're humans just like us and they have their fragiles and their insecurities and 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 so I, i would think in boxing it's the bigger they are the harder they fall would you say that's accurate a hundred percent so i'm just going to give you a very clear example of uh, what that means when anthony joshua who was a gold medalist in the olympics uh representing england in london and uh he had just beaten um vladimir klishko in what was expected to be a dominant force by the ukrainian and he he went down, Klitschko went down. It was an epic fight. Now he has to do his um, pro debut, well, his debut in America at Madison Square Garden. And you and I have talked about this as being the mecca of boxing in the U.S. And he's fighting somebody that was not even recognized, Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz, for those that uh, see amateur boxing, we knew the power that Andy brought in. We also knew that he came from a very, very tough fight against Joseph Parker, yada, yada, yada. But the regular fan doesn't know that. Anthony Joshua was by far the favorite. We're talking, it was, it was like a three-point spread. It was ridiculous. And he lost by knockout, by a technical knockout. Anthony Joshua was never the same. I am not going to say that he's not the same fighter. I'm not going to say that... Um, He doesn't have the skills. I'm just going to put that aside. I'm just saying, the bigger you are, the harder they fall, just following what you said, because he was expected to dominate at Madison Square Garden and be able to bring all the, you know, the the English fans, the Mexican fans, because Andy Ruiz is Mexican, the Mexican fans, the Irish fans, everybody at Madison Square Garden, and he was supposed to take that win all the way back to England and still be recognized as one of the greatest heavyweights. And then we were supposed to look into a uh, Deontay Wilder-Anthony Joshua fight. Well, he lost to Andy Reese. There was no Deontay Wilder fight, and everything just kind of fell through. Perfect example of, uh, you know, anything can happen in a ring. Anything. I was listening to uh, a few podcasts prior to us talking. Uh, and I believe it was on Samir Azizi's podcast you had mentioned the difference between professional athletes and Olympic athletes, because you did cover the Olympics and you said you preferred the Olympic athletes, which surprised me a little bit. What were the reasons for that? Or why do you think that? And and it depends on what sport, but there's, there's that. I don't want to say transparency because it sounds like pros are not transparent. Um, but you're doing this for your country. And I'm not going to say that I prefer. I would say that I have, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of the amateur athlete that gets to that level. Uh, we're talking about la creme of the creme, representing a flag and doing it for the love of the sport and their country. And not let me just make this clear, not all the delegations have the kind of money that a delegation from U.S. or the U.K. or Canada has. A lot of times, these athletes uh, basically scrape the bottom of the barrel to just be able to make it there. Very little support from their own countries and different sports organizations. So when they show up, 
this is do or die for them. And you feel it when you're there. You feel the intensity. You feel the level, the level of competitiveness, the respect they have for each other. Um, and, and as you know, you know, there's cycles. And in these cycles, these athletes get to know each other. And they can they get to know their patterns and they get to know their habits. And it's as much as it could be a rivalry, it's actually a camaraderie. So when one falls, everybody falls with them and they're willing to, even if they're not from the same country, obviously. It's it's beautiful to see how uh, the sportsmanship is not just part of the comp competition. It has to do with the spirit of having a true and clean competition, meaning if you fall and I beat you, this is not quite fair, so I'm going to walk you. I don't know if you remember um, in Rio, there was this, uh, I don't remember exactly if it was, but it was in the walk, and it was not signaled properly, and I believe it was from Somalia. I believe, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Were you but, there? No, I was in Rio. Okay. No, the last Olympic I covered was Beijing. Okay. Uh, so, but I see it, obviously. So what well, happened... I was, I, sorry, let me just pause you real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm only asking because I was actually producing boxing on site with Chris Mannix for NBC. And so if you were there and I didn't see you, I would have been very upset because well, I was, I was, I was really surprised upset you because weren't I there. didn't get to do amateur boxing. <laughs> I haven't been able to do amateur boxing in 2012, which was to me the most groundbreaking moment for boxing when we allowed women's boxing in. Yes. So let's not get into those details. Moving <laughs> right along. Uh, this, this, the guy had a lead and I'm going to say maybe 10 feet and it was not signaled properly. So he was going to take the left turn. So the guy that was behind him, maybe 10 feet just said, don't go there. Comp being totally clear that if he took off, he was either going to be disqualified or he was just not going to make it as first. He was still going to take second. And he took his time and said, listen, don't go there. I'm still behind you. It's not on that end. What did that show me? Once again, it's a fair competition. I am not going to take advantage of a bad moment. Because that was it. That was a bad moment. It had nothing to do with skill or ability. And I want, I, I am going to take the, the position that I deserve because it wasn't his fault if he was going to take second right. or if he was going to be DQ'd. So those are the things that I just find brilliant. That And like that, we have countless of stories in the Olympics of just helping each other. And they're just kids. Mm -hmm. They're just kids that love and have passion for what they do. Well, that was that was special to me because um, for some reason there was no Spanish broadcasting presence at boxing, if you can believe that. And I'd see all these guys walk by, you know, from from Latin American countries on my first day. And I thought no one is talking to them. Really, the, the pool was so shallow. You talked about Joshua. He was there with the BBC next mm -hmm. to us. But I took it upon myself that that second day to actually interview him. And if, if they live somewhere, great. And turns out that Telemundo actually used them, which was nice. And, and just seeing the passion and the tears and the joy, uh, you know, when they won or lost passing by me, I just felt 
this is an amazing experience. And I know that that's something that you've experienced much more being on the front lines for that. When we talk about uh, broadcasting in, in different languages, I know you're multilingual, but is there a difference when you're covering something in Spanish versus English? You know, it's funny you ask that because I have a hard time covering, for example, uh, NFL in Spanish, meaning being true Spanish. Like I would still use my anglicized version of quarterback and running back and halfback and fullback. <laughs> I just don't know how to say that in Spanish. So it's, it's, it's weird because, and I even have a hard time, you know, as Hispanic as baseball is, and you and I know that, uh, I wouldn't even know how to say ground rule double in Spanish. Yeah, I wouldn't have a, a, a good idea of how to say that myself. <laughs> yes, it's. A, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. There's yeah. certain things that are a lot easier to uh, express in particular languages. Perhaps the one language that I don't have a problem going back and forth is boxing. Mm -hmm. Um Basketball, I've done a, a smooth transition, maybe because I've covered it for so long in, in Spanish. But the NFL is still is just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. But but when, in, is there a different way that you approach things in Spanish and English as far as uh, maybe what you're putting together? Or, or is it mostly like when you're talking to the camera? I, I, I do notice that I'm a lot more Latin when I speak Spanish, meaning emotional and loud. And I, I, I tend to keep m my composure a little bit better when I speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because it is my second language and it's uh, I'm, I'm still trying to... Uh, you know, there's there's certain things again that are very easy for me. Then come in, you know, like second nature. And there's some things that uh, I want to make sure that they are understood right. That I'm coming across as respectful and proper as possible. And sometimes, trust me, I'll find myself doing the Ricky Ricardo in English, and it's like hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I have the the Hispanic emotion with the English, and the Hispanic accent is beautiful. <laughs> no, I, I just think it's great, you know, because, as you know, I've produced in both Spanish and English. And I, I do know slight differences um, in, in maybe terminology, of course. That's, that's an obvious thing. But even the way it's done, like the relationships with some of the, my colleagues that have worked in baseball, they're able to get interviews a heck of a lot easier, even with English people sometimes because – or English-speaking people – uh, and, and I'm not I'm not quite sure. And I think that's why I asked the question, because I, I, I can't put my finger on what that actual observation is. But I do notice a difference. I think it has a lot to do with um, warmth. We're warm people, naturally, not to say that other people are not warm, but um, it's very familial. Yes. And we and we behave like. We are family. I'm going to give you, uh, so again, I'm going to go back to somebody who's not Hispanic, like Gennady Golovkin, but I've known Gennady for ever and a day. Um, so I will, it's almost like that. Remember when we were talking about uh, 
how my presence and all that good stuff. But there's always that level of, may I? Do you think it's okay? And be very cognizant of their time and their space. And it, it, it goes with, and I know this is gonna sound weird, with that feeling of, I shouldn't be here, but I am. And I'm here to do a job. So is it okay? It's almost like, I don't wanna say we're meek, but we're very aware that this is a very private space. It's a very personal space. And we are just a fly on the wall. So we, you know, very much like what you did right before we started this con this conversation that you said, you know, I have these pictures. And I said, well, I'd rather not use those just because it's, they're distracting. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. very distracting. <laughs> right. But, but, but I think you're the first one to ever ask. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does actually. And, and maybe it's a part of being humble. I don't know. Um, yes. but, but I, but I do want to respect, like you said, I want to respect your privacy. I want to respect your, um, you know, thoughts on something because in my view, this podcast is collaborative. I'm not looking at it for myself. I'm looking at to highlight, to highlight you and, and what you've done in your career, because I think it's, it's special. And, and, and again, that's why I really wanted you to be on this because you are such a nice person, both inside Thank and you, out. Don. So, uh, transitioning just a little bit now mm -hmm. and talking, keeping with that career aspect, you just had a, what I consider, and I'm sure many other people feel the same way, a major accomplishment. You are now in the Florida boxing hall of fame. How did that happen? I I'm still wondering the same thing. <laughs> I'm still like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hung on this side of the, of the, uh, my office. You are immortalized. I know. How does that feel? Heavy. Heavy. Very heavy. Interesting. Heavy. I mean, those are, there's, when you get that phone call and I mean, I was given a heads up very quickly. It was pretty much like, hey, you're going to expect a call on such and such date. Make sure you pick it up. It's from so-and-so. And in my book, it's like, oh, I'm going to help out. Yeah, sure, whatever. So, hey, what you do? His name is Steve Canton. He says, hey, so I'm calling you to let you know that um, your peers have elected you to be part of the Florida Hall of Fame. And you had no idea. Wow. And I still have the same reaction. My daughter was with me and um, it was those, the longest five seconds. And Steve said, are you there? And my daughter answered, oh, she's here. But you you actually, you, you were able to do something nobody has ever done. She's quiet. <laughs> I, oddly enough, I can envision that because you are, you, you're just a fun person. And I think that's why you, you talk so much, but but what an honor to be to be recognized by any Hall of Fame, um, and and you've had some accomplishments that that were previous to that, and I think that's part of the reason why you were accepted. You were, if I'm not mistaken, you were the first woman to call boxing as an analyst, mm -hmm. ever, ever and to do play by play, yeah. And, and and so I mean, there are special moments in here, and. You're speaking to the Hall of Fame, I do have some pictures that I'd like to show, and I'd like to get your thoughts on what, what those are, and I'll just rip through them. What are your thoughts 
going into that venue to accept this honor? Uh, I, I was just in awe. And uh, the ring, oh my God, when you get the ring, it's like, and I was very blessed. I had the opportunity to take my daughter with me. And then I had a group of friends, friends that flew from Colombia, from South Africa. Um, and I was just, you know, th these, these ladies, they love me regardless. Be it good, bad, or indifferent, they love me. But the fact that my peers would recognize my career, they don't have to love me. They, 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 they don't need to do that. They, they, I mean, there's a lot of people that work in sports and there's a lot of people that have done outstanding work in the world of boxing. And for them to take their time and recognize me and my trajectory, um, it was humbling. It was an honor. I mean, I was, I shared the desk with David Tua. I covered David Tua. It's, it's, wow. Yeah. You know? Well, I was super that, proud, proud of you when I saw that. Here's, here's you getting your fist cast. <laughs> I, had to, I had to stand on a stool because I was <laughs> and it had to be straight and there was no way I could do it because I'm so short. So they brought in a stool so I could do it and I could put it straight. So of course I was implementing the, the ordering chaos, obviously the, my, my motto. And where will that live? What what town or city is it's that? It's gonna in? live in um, Tampa, in okay. the area of Tampa. Uh, it's uh, that's where they have the Florida Hall of Fame. They might move it, but as of right now, it's in the Tampa area. All right, and then of course <laughs> you jumping for joy. <laughs> yes, yes, of course, making you know the silly silly gestures and I was just ecstatic I mean and everything is so solemn and everything Bob Alexander who's been um, the ringside announcer for us many times uh, at Friday Night Fights as well as um, Boxeo Tecate and Solo Boxeo with Univision and I did uh, Boxeo in Telemundo and I did it for NBC and I did PBC and Bob Alexander has been around forever and I had the honor of having him call my name and his beloved wife give me the ring. It, it, it just feels like I went full circle because I started with young men and women that were trying to, you know, make strides. And then I, I you know, I continued and now they're part of the hall of fame and now they're inducted and they were there because a lot of the inductees of previous years were there to support and it was beautiful it was beautiful it was beautiful to see having having a, a daughter in in the amount of travel that you do you take her with you she's kind of seen the business is that something that she might want to explore in the future oh don that's it's funny that you mentioned it because she's now a senior and we're starting to get all the paperwork ready for her to start college. And she's a dancer. She's a ballerina, classical ballerina. And in a conversation we had about a week ago, she said, well, I might just minor on something. I said, well, yeah, you know, she's very good at writing. And I figured maybe creative writing. She goes, no, I might just try journalism. My heart sank. 
my heart sank because she's never shown any inkling. I've never pushed her. Um, she loves sports, but not like that. And, but I know she has, she's got a knack for writing and putting stories together. So I, I, we know the value that has. Um, we'll see. We'll just see. Well, she's got a, a great role model in her mother. And that brings me to my next question. And that is you are a, now a motivational speaker and coach. Mm -hmm. Is is that how, how did that come about? You know, it started oddly enough during the pandemic. Uh, as you know, the NBA just stopped. I mean, in the middle of the game, somebody was not having a good day, had tested positive, they stopped the game. The whole league stopped. So it was the NBA who first contacted me because I know a lot of the people in management. And they said, well, you know, you're, you're always such a happy person. And, and they knew that I had started writing a book. Um, and they said, how, how about if we just bring our marketing team so you can get them going because they're really sad and, and you know, these are some uncertain times. Sure enough, we had an hour that eventually became more like almost two hours. And that was the beginning of that. I had already started writing a book. I'm still finishing it. As a matter, it's finished, but I haven't edited. So it's, it's a long process, actually. I wasn't aware that it was that complicated. Um, and, and a lot of the tools that I've used personally to stay afloat in hard times, in difficult times, in challenging times. That's what the book is all about, uh, about being a Hispanic female in the world of sports, specifically in full contact sports, and being able to do it in two languages and being part of you know the beautiful ESPN Disney family and the KTLA family and now the DAZN family and how being authentic is key and how sometimes we get caught in the middle of this rat race and we lose ourselves and that has that was my process that's exactly what happened to me i you know i got caught in the rat race i lost myself i hit rock bottom and then i slowly but surely came up the pandemic hit it's another hit in my career and um it, it those are tools that i think everybody has they just have a hard people have a hard time seeing it recognizing it you yeah. know we're, we're 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 meant to to thrive we're not meant to just survive with you having gone through a lot of adversity in your life and then the pandemic which affected nearly everybody what is your idea of how you can help people get through that i know it's a lot of what we do sometimes is that experience but is there, have you found a way that maybe connects with somebody now that you've seen and that's why you're taking that next step to help people? It's, uh, it's digging from within and it's showing that it can be done. So yes, I, I can only use what I've experienced myself. And, and my thing is, I don't have the answers for Don Cordona or Sophia Chang or, no. What I do have is the ability to show you that you can do it, that you've come this way this long, 
What is it that you want? What have you already accomplished? We are so keen on looking at, oh my God, that goal is all the way over there, but we lose track of what all we've actually accomplished. And sometimes that's all you need to keep going to see how many steps you've actually made, how many challenges you've conquered. And that's my, that's, that's what I try to help people pivot rather than saying that goal is so far away. They're just take a quick peek at that rear view mirror and remember where you came from. So perhaps you're not a hundred percent perfect, but I assure you, you're at least 20% better than you were yesterday. And we still have tomorrow. And a lot of times we lose track of the joy of the moment. And that happens to us on a regular basis on TV. And I think I've, I've over, I overcame that because of the business that we're in. If you're not allowed to, if you don't allow yourself to be you and screw it up sometimes and fuck it up, you will never enjoy the moment because you're going to always get caught in the, but I missed the graphic or the soundbite didn't come up or the, or the mic was lost. At the end, nobody really notices. You notice it. The picture is that much more broader and wider. It's not just you. So you enjoy you and your moment because whoever's watching a game is not focusing on your soundbite or the graphic. They're just watching the game. And so should you. And life is just that. For anyone who's interested, it's ClaudiaTrejos.com. And on your front page, it says, find the champion within you. And I think that's perfect because of the field that you, that you're in and and the sport that you love so much that people just have to fight a little bit harder. So I wish you the best of luck in there and I'm sure you're going to do great. Thank you. Now, now changing gears uh, once again in, in the short time we have left, um, when it comes to celebrities, there are so many that attend boxing matches. You've had the chance, I would imagine to have talked to them, interview them, uh, and and just be a part of them. It, it, what is that like for people who may not know? Because a lot of these people are really untouchable. They're perceived as being untouchable, but they're not. <laughs> Fair enough. They're not. I mean, uh, they're just people. They just happen to be in the limelight. And see, we are so ungrateful because even they even though they have the superstar status, they're human beings. And the minute that they fall off grace, then all of a sudden they're not even worth talking to anymore. And we've had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a very unforgiving position to be in. You're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as your last movie. You're only as good as your last throw. You're only as good as your last anything. And when you, and in the minute that you understand that they're just people, then the conversation becomes organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can always touch base on, it's not easy to be Tom Brady. It isn't, it cannot be. It's not easy to be Julio Cesar Chavez or Julio Cesar Chavez's son, mm-hmm. but they happen to be. They're just human beings. Right. And we are going to talk about their, their, 
their their virtues and their victories, but along their path, they've also had rough patches. And and that's what I like to extrapolate, you know, how they go through those rough patches. How do they uh, still show up? Still show up, no matter how hard life is, and behind closed doors, they're having their own struggles, they still show up. And you know that good old saying, 90% of the battle is showing up? That is so true. That is so true. And the, and I am very fortunate that I've had a, what, like a 25-year relationship with most fighters that we they're still active. I mean, I've known Canelo for 16. I've known Gennady for the last 10. And, and, and because I've been around so long, then I get a chance to see the new kids coming up. And in hockey, I remember meeting uh, Wayne Gretzky, and he was having a really hard time. I was still covering. I was doing sports at KTLA in Los Angeles. And he was going through a rough patch for whatever reason. And Stu Nahan, may he rest in peace, he was with him. And he said, um, Wayne, I need to introduce you to Claudia Trejos. I was the new kid, the Hispanic girl doing uh, weekend sports at KTLA. And I, I knew he was having a bad day. We had just been talking about it with Sue, but he showed up and he was just as a gentleman. Pleased to meet you. I'm Wayne Gretzky. I felt like saying, yeah, like, I'm not going to know who you are. But it's, it was the nonchalant attitude. Like, I am this, I am not, I'm nobody particular. I just slapped up out of a puck and I score goals. <laughs> and I haven't scored a goal in like four games. I'm having a rough, he never said that. He just said, it's been a rough time. It's been a rough week. And, and, but he, he showed up. He still showed up, you know? And, and I, t I, I took that, and it was maybe a three-minute conversation on camera. It was done. See you, bye. But he was so honest. So, and he's Wayne Gretzky. As a matter of fact, where is he? I have him around here somewhere. I'm still unpacking my bag. Oh, he's up there. Uh, but those are the things that, that I take with me. You know, I was there when, when Julio lost to Randall. Nobody expected him to lose. I was there when Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas. Buster, you know, he had a great night and Tyson moved on to still follow greatness. But he showed up. Yeah. Well, some of these athletes that you've covered oftentimes become your partners on TV as well. And, uh, and I have a, a, a few more pictures here. So thank you for allowing me to show these. That's uh, a four division world champion, Juan Manuel Marquez, and a three division world champion, Miguel Cotto. And that was the fight that never happened. We all expected them to meet at least at 140, and it never happened. Great friends. We've been see those are the things that I love and I and I get so emotional and even though you had shown me the picture before we started taping these are great souls great souls I mean they beat people up for a living don't don't take me wrong you say the wrong word they're, they're very quick at stepping up exactly but they're great souls yeah very good people this picture ah Julito oh we go way back Julio and I go way back and talk about loyalty and honesty. And I've seen him in his heyday, and I've also been there in his worst days. And I've seen him cry um, on and off camera. And 
that's hard for me to see. But he's a great person, great friend, very loyal. <laughs> All right, next one. Ah, Juan Manuel. That's Juan Manuel Marquez. We're, we're now, as a matter of fact, I'm flying out to Cancun and I will be doing fights with him in Cancun for Pro Box. Well, that's uh, Ricardo Celis. Him and I have known each other for at least 25 years. We've been doing boxing together for 25 years. And of course, in the middle, we have Canelo Alvarez. And as you can see, he is a lot smaller then than what he showed up on September 17th, 2022, because that last fight was actually done at um, 160 pounds. And this last fight was at 168. And I could bet that he walked into the ring at at least 175. A pretty, pretty good face for boxing, I'd say. Yes, he has indeed. That is Manjo um, Arroyo. He's one of the set of twins, an outstanding fighter uh, from Puerto Rico and uh, Olympian as well. Um, it's uh, one out of 12 sets of brothers that have held world titles. So I'm very proud of uh, Manjo and Maguilia Arroyo. They're great fighters, yes. And finally, Oh, that's Argis, and he just had a fight against El Gallo Estrada, and he's flanked by um, Don Nacho Eristain. Don Nacho was the only trainer that Juan Manuel and Rafael Marquez had. He's still perhaps one of, if we can, if we can call upon a Bible of boxing, that would be Nacho Eristain. And his gym is... The best known gym in Mexico is Romanza, and everybody that's anybody has at least passed by. He's the, you know, um, wild card in Los Angeles. That's Romanza in Mexico City. Okay. No, it's and and you know the boxing world is, uh, I, it's kind of escaped me since I did leave ESPN because I did get into most of the Olympic sports uh, in in the later part of my career. So, a lot of these things are just me going down memory lane and 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 that's why i appreciate you at least showing letting me show some of your pictures there's there's something about you that i find unique as well and uh I, i've worked with jim rodriguez uh, uh, you know jim very well uh, and I, I maybe you know where i'm going with this but you smoke cigars <laughs> yes i do and you're a aficionado you're an aficionado yes, I am. Very much so. And, and and did that come from your upbringing, Colombia, or was that later uh, in life? Well, back when I was growing up, um, when you're walking in the farm in Colombia, especially in the area where I come from, which is the valley, um, we if you're going through coffee plantations, they have little itty bitty gnats, and they go in your nose and your ears and your eyes and. So the best way to uh, fend them off is through smoke. Ah. So when I used to walk with my dad, he would smoke cigars, homegrown, homemade, nothing fancy. There was no Cohibas, no Montecristos. Because what we do is we rotate plantations. We go coffee, sugar cane, then we do tobacco. And then it just kind of helps the, the soil to um, get more nitrogen and different whatever. So you there's at any given day you are walking down the uh, field so my dad would smoke on on top of me just to make sure that the gnats were not getting so all over me and as i grew older by the time i was nine you know the typical age where they tell you you know when your dad tells you yo change the channel remember back in the day mm -hmm. when we were the remote control for our parents yep. so i was the remote control also on the field 
So I know millennials are going like remote control. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. like, trust me. There were times that would go clack, clack, clack. Remember those days? Yeah. The rabbit ears and stuff. So I was the rabbit ears and the remote for my dad. And he would say, you know, go all the way over there. Let me know if you see anything weird. And, you know, it's like, really, dude? I'm going to walk and no cigar. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take a little one. So I would take a little one. We don't inhale cigars, so don't don't be jumping all over the place. Oh, my God, that's child abuse. No, that's what we do. <laughs> and, and then in time, you know, it, it was the thing we did at the end of, you know, the end of the weekend. We would smoke a cigar. And it's, it wasn't like I did it as often as I do now. Uh, once you get into the good stuff, it's like, oh, so this is what this is uh -huh. all about. <laughs> So I, that now you get into, you know, the Nicaraguans, the Ecuadorians, the Dominicans, the Cubans, and it's like, wow. So it doesn't have to taste or smell like, you know, dried leaves. Yeah. It's actually good. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the beginning of the end. So I really started getting into it, I'd say, 87, when I was about 17, 18, mm -hmm. 87, and then... And then that was the beginning of the end. Now I have a humidor and yeah. scotch with it. It's it's. Well, I'm I'm no aficionado myself, but I would travel to the Dominican Republic quite a bit, and so I have. <gasps> Let me see. That. I, well, it's th what's inside the box is not what is on the outside, but I do have a little bit of a uh, of a cache here. Nice. Um, and and so I want you to I want you to rate my collection here and tell me if you know if they're uh quality or not so okay. and so next time hopefully i see you we can actually partake yes but I'll show uh, you more of it. okay yeah uh brick horse mm, it's a solid solid cigar i have uh yet to smoke it but it has very good reviews okay Par partagas partagas Partagas. brilliant brilliant good? okay good yes uh principes palma Principes Palmas, that's another one that I haven't tried. It's it's a mid-range, especially if you're having a, a Rubio. Those are nice and solid with vanilla aftertone. So I um, oh. I need to try that one. Okay. Hoyo de Monterrey. Hoyo Monterrey. You're in very good company right there. Okay. Make sure you, that's very, it's a soft cigar, both Rubio and the, and the um, Maduro. You can actually pair that with good, solid, like, uh, woodsy wines. Oh, good, good. Cumbres Pariscal. I don't know where that's... Yeah, I, it, it was really hard for me to read the label. Um, it was really, really small, but uh, no, the, the, the label has kind of come down a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know that cigar. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I have in my collection. You said you have your collection out? Yeah. Here I have... Uh, Perdomo, Lot 23. This is Nicaraguan. This is a very special Davidoff for me. I like Davidoff. Okay. This is a Rubio. Um, this right here is an H. Oatman Reserva. This, my friend. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Okay, this is Un Padron, 1926. This is a beautiful, somewhat of a spicy cigar, but it's a beautiful cigar. Now, this is this, 
this is a very expensive cigar and this is i keep it for a very special occasion i actually took it to the canelo fight didn't get a chance to smoke it but this is the anniversary series by padron so you see the difference yeah these are two padrons but this is a 1926 and this is the anniversary series this is a torpedo Mm. and this is your one and only monte cristo the wonderful thing about buying cigars in Dominican or Nicaragua um, is that you can't go wrong because the leaf is so good, the, the, the soil is so fertile that they know what they're doing. Even sometimes, like I go to local Vegas and they're like uh, torcidos right then and there and they're brilliant. The no names. There's an it's called eight and it has no brand, no label. And it's beautiful, beautiful. And it's eight bucks. For God's sakes, can't go wrong. Yeah, well, going to have to figure that out next time I, my, I smoke one. But thank you for at least making sure that what I have is decent. <laughs> yes, you got good stuff. Make sure you smoke it right and make sure. Um, by the way, uh, you need that in a humidor. You yes. cannot keep it in that box. Yeah, no, I just pulled it out room. for this. So. Okay, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. All right, uh, Claudia, a couple more questions for you. Um, if you have something for this, that's great. If not, but what what would you say the best memento you have in all the years you've been working? Or the most memorable? The most memorable. Uh, the, the lighting of the torch, 1996 Olympics. I had a chance to see Muhammad Ali. I, we didn't have rides. I was still working in Los Angeles. And he walked right in front of me as he was being taken, he was being ushered to go to uh, light up the, the Olympic torch. That perhaps is one of the most, if there's such a word as truest, which I know there is no word, but that was the truest, most authentic moment in my career. The reason I do boxing today is because of Muhammad Ali. I fell in love with Muhammad Ali when I was about six years old. And in my book, he was bigger than life. That was the first and last time I ever saw him. I never saw him again. Wow. And to see a man that transcended the sport, religious beliefs, social status, and his own illness. And for him to be standing there, and he was so stoic and so proud, despite his ailment. All I have to do is show up. I don't have any of that. Yeah. Spoken very true. All right. I'm going to leave you with one more question. Yes. And this one's on a lighter note. Uh, what is your favorite sports film? And it could be in the boxing world if, if you so choose. It, it has to be Raging Bull. It has to be Raging Bull. Um, and it's not just because of boxing. It's because of how honest the film is. Mm-hmm. Rocky II is 
the toughest film for me to watch. Mm. And there's that monologue where they say, where Rocky says, it's not how hard you hit. Life is like boxing. It's not how hard you hit. It's how hard you get hit and you keep going. So I take very particular moments of those fights. They just happen to be boxing uh, uh, movies. But I love The Mighty Dugs just because, you know, the improbable is possible. Uh, and which is, you know, it's the underlying subject in sports movies is, you know, the, the combination of, you know, the odds and how just hard work and dedication gets you to a lot, another level. And it's so true. Yeah. Very good. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for your time. I do have something here that next time I see you when we do actually smoke a cigar, I would like for you to sign this for me. <laughs> it would be my pleasure. And that way I can put it back back here somewhere or whatever backdrop I have in the future. But that would be so cool for me, especially having worked with you, getting to know you, seeing what you've done. And, and, and I'm really proud that you're a Hall of Famer now and, and that'll live with you forever. You are immortalized. I know. Thank you, Don. And, and you got to remember that when we did boxing together and the, you even had to produce me for a all-star game. I think you forgot about that. That's right. And yeah. I did it with um, Eddie P, with Eddie Perez. Mm -hmm. That's right. And yes, I don't forget. I, I, I do. And that's part of the reason I started this <laughs> podcast, because my memories are going out the door. But, uh, but people have such great stories, and, and that's what I'm trying to capture. Not just the technical behind the scenes, but really what they've done and what they've accomplished and, and some of the stories that they have, which you shared with me today so graciously. So thank you so much. No, but I, what I meant to say was thank you because uh, behind any type of talent, there's always that diligent producer that's busting his ass to make sure we look and sound decent. And you were always extremely, extremely helpful in your candor. Even when all hell was breaking loose, you, you, you kept everything together and you just said, right now we're just crashing. We're not going to burn, but we're crashing. Right. So do you remember that was a game we went to 16 innings? It's coming back to me as you're talking. Yes. Yeah. It, it was a long night. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> what city that was? Uh, no, okay. I don't remember. Yeah. No. Well, but I just wanted to thank you for always thinking of me. I know we don't talk all the time, but it's always so beautiful to see your notes and saying hi. Yeah. So thank you for always keeping me in mind. No, thank you. And and I look forward to, to big things conti to continue to come for you. So uh, best of luck to you. Amen. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Claudia and I just scratched the surface in this episode. So to find out more about her and her incredible background, and if you happen to be looking for a motivational speaker, visit ClaudiaTrejos.com. Also check out her book, Against the Ropes, when it's released. For more Sports in the Making podcast episodes, visit our YouTube page, Sports in the Making Podcast, or take a listen on your favorite audio podcast platform. Also be sure to check out Twitter, at SportsMaking, as well as the Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making. I'm Don Cardona.